Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. It's a privilege and honor for me to get to share. You know, Jay's doing a great job with the series and Brad Brinson doing a great job. I'm going to continue the series on prayer. As you know, there's different types of prayer. We have prayer of adoration, which is praise, prayer of petition, where we're asking God for things, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of lament. I had a situation just recently that triggered in my mind, like, it's like in a moment, the Lord took me back to my past, like what TC was saying. Um, a gentleman, Central American guy came, he was helping me with someone, he's become a friend of mine. And before he stepped inside of my house, he looked at me with this like concern on his face. And he's like, you don't have any dogs, do you? I said, I don't like dogs. Dogs scare me. And see, I, I was in Central America the last seven years, so I understood. You see, where, where we live, the dogs are your home security system. They're designed to be aggressive and protect and defend, right? My dad's dog, I affectionately refer to as brother, because my dad tells everyone that this is my brother, and I, he's, he's convinced. He was a joke at first. It's not a joke. I mean, literally, he treats him. Like he's my brother, and I've just accepted it. But in Central America, it's different. So this gentleman's like, hey, do you have any dogs? And I immediately went back to when I was serving in Costa Rica. And during the pandemic, you know, tourism really hit Costa Rica hard. The borders were closed, and this is a country that survives on tourism. And so people were hurting financially, and crime was on the rise. So we just started delivering groceries as much as we could. So I had a couple Costa Rican pastors and I, and we're, we're taking these groceries, these little very rural villages. And I'm, maybe you've done that game where you try to carry as many bags of groceries as you can like this, right? And I'm walking on a little dirt trail, and it's overgrown on the sides. Dogs are barking like crazy. And there's this one dog that is like out of its mind, right? Crazy, nuts, barking, growling, snarling. And I'm kind of defenseless, right? I'm carrying as many groceries as I can, which... Probably isn't that many, but I'm doing what I can. And uh, this dog sneaks up behind me and bites me. I'm like, oh, great. So I go into this gentleman's home, really incredible man of God, humble guy. He's got this little dirt floor. Well, because it's COVID, everybody has hand sanitizer, right? So that's good. So they just start spraying it all over because it's bleeding, and I don't think much of it. We finish up, and I remember asking my friend who lived in the area, I'm like, hey, do you know who the owner is of that dog? just want to make sure, like, I mean, I don't have rabies or something, right? And then he's asking around, like, nobody's ever seen this dog before. This dog was like out of his mind. He's crazy. I'm like, oh, great. So we didn't have health care. So my health care plan was Google. So I Googled, what happens if I get rabies? <laughs> I didn't know. And the response was death. <laughs> death is what happens 100% of the time if you get rabies. So again, no health care. So my health care system was you go to the pharmacy and you say, I've got these symptoms and they give you prescription medicine. So I went in there and I said, I've got rabies. I got rabies. I might've been a little dramatic, but I was panicked. So, so they go back in the back and there's a tiny little place. Sorry, no rabies medicine. I'm like, what? Like, well, can you call the pharmacy that's like an hour away? Sure, sure. 
And it's a small town. We're on a first name basis. She calls the pharmacy. They don't have any rabies medicine either. I'm like, oh no. Well, there's a, a bigger town two hours away. Can you please call them? Please. Sure, I'll call them. Call them. She's on the phone. I'm praying. The whole time I'm just praying, please, Lord. Please, Lord. I mean, I'm praying this prayer, just those words over and over again. And I'm finding out, how long do I have to live if I don't get the medicine? Please, Lord. And so I'm praying this. They call the town that's showers away, and they don't have the medicine either. Like, oh, no. Again, still praying, please, Lord, please, Lord. So finally I did what I rarely did. I actually went to a doctor in the private health care plan. I got it taken care of. I didn't have rabies. I did get some meds. But I say that to say, Lord, here's our prayers, and our prayers matter, and they don't have to be eloquent. We might not have the word. Sometimes my prayers are just help me, Jesus. That's probably the prayer I say the most often. Please, Lord, or help me, Jesus. They don't have to be eloquent. He hears our prayers, and they matter to him. I mean, he's a loving father better than any earthly loving father could be. They matter. But tonight, I'm going to talk about one specific pattern of prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And it's actually the greatest prayer for the church that we have. And maybe you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to just pray that familiarity would not rob us of like gazing and basking in the beauty and the power of this prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to refer to the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke 11. We have, in the, if you're new to the scriptures, the Bible consists of an Old Testament, which is the first part of the New Testament. New Testament is the part where Jesus has come, and it's after Jesus has come. And then Old Testament is anticipation of Jesus. So we've got four Gospels, and I chose the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel is the first four books in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. Here's how it works out was John the Baptist, who was someone who came before Jesus, telling people that the Messiah was coming. He's proclaiming, and he had disciples. Well, he taught his disciples how to pray. So now Jesus' disciples are saying, hey, Jesus, Teach us how to pray, just like John taught his disciples. So Jesus says this, and we're breaking the Lord's Prayer into two parts. Uh, Jay's going to hit the second part next week. It's a vertical section and a horizontal section. I'm going to hit the vertical section. So Jesus said this. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Those eight words, that's, that's all I'm preaching on tonight. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. But you see, this is a vertical focus, has to do with God. And then next week, Jay will preach on the horizontal portion, verses 3 and 4, that say, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. So Jesus gave them this, this model for prayer. Now, some of you have heard the prayer a lot before, right? Maybe you have it memorized. When we go back to, uh, to the first slide, this slide, like some of you are thinking, wait a minute, it's missing something, right? Anybody think that? What, what's it missing? You're right. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? What do we do with this? Let's be really honest. When you come to Scripture and you're reading the Bible, it's really good to ask a lot of questions. Wait, Why? Why, why doesn't it have this? Why does it have this? Well, it tells us a couple things. First off, if you're anybody here a teacher? Listen, if you're a teacher, 
Come on, you repeat yourself a lot, right? If you're a parent, right? It's just like the, one of the main things you do, repeat yourself over and over. Jesus taught on prayer multiple times, right? That makes sense. Well, another part that it makes sense of it is that, again, different gospels. So this is the gospel of Luke. Each gospel author had a focus, a specific desire in how they wanted to present Jesus. See, the gospel of Matthew says, our father who art in heaven, this is written to to the Jewish audience, and they want to show Jesus as the Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament as king of the Jews. So they're presenting Jesus as king of the Jews and God the Father as the Old Testament cosmic creator, whereas Luke presents Jesus in his humanity. Yes, he was God, but Luke's showing him as a human. He wept. He got tired. He, got, he went to sleep. He became angry. So this explains the differences. But it also tells us this, is that Jesus wasn't like teaching this like rigid insistence on form. He's giving us a pattern that in our prayers, there needs to be a God focus and a horizontal focus. I say that with a lot of conviction because as I was studying and processing, I pray for myself, but I sure pray for friends and loved ones a lot. But out of conviction, I've neglected to focus making God the center of my prayers made self. And he hears my prayers and they matter and he loves it when I come to him and speak or even it's just a thought. He loves it. But there's that horizontal and there's the vertical and the horizontal. And I don't want us to miss that. And so I say this again, if, um, if you're really familiar with the Lord's Prayer, I don't want you to miss it tonight because familiarity can rob us. If you come tonight and, and your heart is heavy or distracted or carrying heavy burden, man, I just want to tell you, you're in the right place. We're thrilled you're here. I think the Lord has something special for you. But I don't want that to be a distraction for you to miss it either. I have a, a short video. I, I did a long hike in Sweden, northern Sweden, like above the Arctic Circle in August. It's a four-day backpacking trip. And the first three days... It was like I was just captivated and mesmerized all day. I mean, the sun never went down, but the whole time I was just like, whoa, this is amazing. Like all day long for the first three days, just in awe, like basking in the beauty of it. Couldn't even believe it. I've got a video. This is where we set up camp the first night. I did it with a buddy of mine. You just set up camp wherever you want to. You just drink straight from the streams. You don't filter, you don't purify. Just mesmerized. This is just me where I set up my tent. The fourth day... I didn't catch a single glimpse of the beauty. See, the fourth day, my buddy had torn his meniscus. We put all his heavy stuff in my backpack. It was pouring down rain. It was so windy, and it was freezing. I didn't, I didn't see anything beautiful that day. <laughs> I was exhausted. I was in pain. And I just want to say tonight, if you have exhaustion or pain, if there's wind and rain in your lives, don't let 
don't allow that to rob you from the beauty and the power of the Lord's prayer. Don't let familiarity allow you to rob that exhaustion. So we'll go here. Verse 2, the Lord's prayer in Luke chapter 11. Jesus starts with this. First word he says, Father. This actually was like, this is explosive and revolutionary. Maybe we miss it, but in their culture it was. Remember Matthew's version, our Father who art in heaven, which is pretty amazing, but it communicates like this cosmic distant God, which was the God of the Jews, which is the audience for Matthew. Whereas Luke just says, Father. He says, when you pray, say, Father. It's revolutionary. You see, the Old Testament, it spoke of God as Father, but only 14 times in the whole Old Testament. And when it spoke of God as Father, it spoke of God as like Father of the nation, not Father of individuals, not loving, intimate daddy. There's still this separation, this distance between the two. And Jesus, when he spoke of Father, He used a different word. I'm going to unpack that. He used this word 60 times in the four Gospels, which isn't that much material. And instead of talking about the way the Jews did, where they talked about like God's sovereignty, that means it's all-powerful and his transcendence, meaning he's like so beyond our imagination and ability to grasp, he's talking about father as in like daddy. You see, this one word father that Jesus used, I think it captures the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus, when he said this, this was so shocking to his audience because no one had ever spoken about God the Father in this way. And Jesus actually did it in a language called Aramaic. It was the common language of the time. And he used the word Abba. Maybe you've heard this word before. But it means more like, Dearest daddy. Doesn't mean father. It means father, but it's it's not formal, it's intimate. With one word, Jesus changed everything. With one word, he revolutionized it. With one word, he gave us a share into the inheritance. With one word, he gave us a share into his sonship. When you pray, pray, Father. This was shocking to them. With one word, he transformed the relationship that we can have with God. Father, if you have um, any picture of God, that the Father that's not all-powerful, but also full of mercy and grace and love and tenderness, lavishing with love, then your picture of God is not right. And I want you to know that Your picture of God is the most important thing that you have. It's the most important thing about you. What you believe to be true about the character and nature of God is the most important thing in your life. Sometimes we fall prey to lies, but he gives us a spirit of sonship. We get to call him Abba. You know, my kids don't call me father. I mean, if they did, they'd be acting silly or whatever. You know, they normally call me Pop and Daddy. I call my dad Pop. I've got a great relationship. Really love and enjoy my dad. Abba. It's a beautiful word. Galatians 4 says this. 
It says that we're given a spirit of sonship where we call him Abba, Father. Romans 8 says the same thing, verses 15 and 16. A spirit of sonship where we get to call him Abba, Father. Children of God. Isn't that beautiful? With one word, Jesus gives us a share into his sonship. Father. The next part of the prayer says, hallowed be your name. So we pray, hallowed be your name. Now, just a quick pause. If you have kids here, Midtown Community Church does such an incredible job with their kids. They've been teaching their kids about the names of God. So the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, which is this really expansive language, much larger than English. And there's so many names for God, we can't capture them in English. Our English translation might say God or sovereign God or Lord, but in the original language of the Hebrew, it'd be like the God who sees, the God who provides, the God who protects, the God who heals. And we, and we miss it in our English. And they've been studying these names for God in our kids' ministries. Pretty awesome. If you've got a little one in there, ask them about it. So it says, hallowed be your name. Now, in, in Jewish culture, the name represented the character and the essence and the nature of God. Psalm 20, verse 7 says this. Maybe you've heard this verse. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Why the name? Because the name, again, it represents the character and the essence. So which name do we hallow? And to hallow the name means to keep it holy, to treat it as holy with reverence. Which name? Well, all of the names, of course, but the name it's talking about right here is the name Abba, Daddy. Keep this name how? Keep it holy and pure. How do we do that? Two ways. We do that with our words and our actions. When we pray something, there should be this partnership between what we say and what we do. If I'm saying, if I'm praying, Lord, I want to, I need a big hole in my yard for whatever, well, then I better go pick up a shovel. Are you with me on that? If I'm praying, Lord, I want to see revival. I better be on my face worshiping him and I better be praying for people. I'm going to look for whoever will let me pray for them until I start seeing stuff happen. If I'm praying, hallowed be your name, I need to know his name. I need to know his character and his nature. So I need to study his word to know him. And then my life needs to reflect it. See, it's in my words and in my deeds that we hallow his name. The next part, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God. So in the throne rooms of heaven, every creature is just praising God voluntarily. Because he's so like radiantly beautiful. His glory and honor, they can't help themselves. And so when we say his kingdom come, we have on earth rebellion against God. It's a bringing what's in his throne room here. As a kid, to be honest, I used to be afraid that that meant like that heaven was a church service. And because of that, I wasn't super excited about heaven, just being really honest with you. You know, most of my prayers at church was when they'd start a hymn, I would pray, Lord, please, not every stanza. Just one, three, and five, please, Lord. No repeats. Just, just didn't engage super well. I know some people came alive in it, but it just it didn't get me where I was, right? Scripture doesn't actually call heaven a church service. Although if it were like Midtown, that'd be pretty great. Man, I, I get a little disappointed when they end the worship. I mean, I love it. I'm like, no, keep going, TC, please. I'm not done. This is good. 
calls scripture when it talks about um, his kingdom coming, a wedding feast, a celebration. Now that's good news. But what I'm getting at is when we say, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. His kingdom needs to be the centerpiece of our prayers. And again, I don't say that with any judgment or pointing any fingers. I say that with deep conviction that I've realized that I've somehow I've, I've skewed away from that. I made my prayer completely about me. He cares about my prayers. He cares that I'll be praying for my kids and my loved ones and family and strangers. But he's inviting us to participate in his kingdom coming. He's inviting me to reorient my values, to align my will to his will. Because as, as I cultivate intimacy with the Lord, my will and my desires are going to become his will, his desires. And I'll, I'll want what he wants. I'll align my will. Because when we say, your kingdom come, when we, if we say these words out loud, if we pray these words, these words demand commitment and action. It's not just a praying, Lord, I want this to happen, and then doing nothing about it. It's a partnership between the two, aligning our wills. So I say that, and, and I'm going to say something here that might feel a little strange or harsh. I don't feel like I would be serving, serving us well if I didn't say it. But the truth is, is that God doesn't exist for us. We exist for God. I know that feels a little bit strange and hard. This, if you don't mind, leave that slide. The truth is, is that he's the potter, we're the clay. He's the creator. We're created in his image. Now, good news is, is that we're his workmanship, right? And what he makes is beautiful. It's in his image. He delights in us. We're the objects of his affection. But we have to remember that he doesn't exist for us. No, it's easy for us to think he exists for us because he lavishes us with love and he's so merciful, so full of grace, so full of kindness. He's always giving. He's always serving. The gospel of Mark paints a picture of Jesus as a suffering servant. He came and he suffered for us. He served. He's washing the disciples' feet who are going to betray him. So it's easy for us to somehow get our perspective skewed just a little bit and think he exists for us. But the truth is, we exist for him. And I say that because if we're just one degree off course, boy, we're steering in the wrong direction. And I know it feels hard, but the truth that we exist for him actually gives our lives purpose, meaning, value, and significance. And if when you read that, that God doesn't exist for you, why does that feel uncomfortable for you? Why does that feel uneasy? If that doesn't feel right, if it kind of feels like sandpaper, a little abrasive, process that for a minute. Why? Again, our perception of God is the most important thing that we have. And when we grasp that we exist for him, it gives our lives so much purpose. If you still feel uncomfortable, if you feel, if you feel, maybe if you're really honest and self-aware, I feel angry when I read this. Contact me, call me, email me. My name is Jay Smith. I'll give you my, my home address. I'll give you my phone number. You can come over anytime. Come over tonight if you want to. Tell exactly where to go. No, I'm not Jay Smith. But you can, you can take it up with Jay Smith. But... <laughs> 
But really, think about why, why does this maybe cause me to feel a little unsettled? And some of my schooling, I studied a lot of cultural studies. And one of the classifications they do when they study cultures is whether a culture is individualistic or collectivist. Do they think in terms of like me and I or in terms of we? Where we lived in, in Costa Rica, they think in terms of we. My, my wife would invite a friend, hey, let's go, let's go to the beach and hang out. And the friend would bring her mom, her son, her daughter, and her niece every time. Because she always thought in terms of we. The U.S. is number one in all the countries of the world when it comes to thinking in terms of individualistically, thinking in terms of me. Maybe you've noticed that in the U.S., don't tell me what my rights are, right? I'm not getting pushing any side of polarity. Don't tell me to wear a mask. Don't tell me to do this. I'm not pushing any political agenda here, but I'm trying to illustrate that this cultural thinking that we have, if you're from the U.S., permeates and penetrates our minds so that when we read Scripture, we're likely to project this culture. We're likely to see through this culture, this lens, and it's important that we reorient that God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. Yes, we get to bring our petitions to him. He wants us to. He invites us to and tells us to, hey, bring your request before him with thanksgiving. But we should remember that we get to be a part of his work. I mean, this is beautiful. We get to participate. In Mark 14, there's a story. Uh, Jesus is anointed a second time. This woman comes and she anoints Jesus. People are all upset, this waste of money. And Jesus says this one line that is so liberating for me. He says, she did what she could. Just takes the pressure off. She did what she could. Man, I'm pretty limited in my skill sets. I was here early or helping with the chairs. And Kenny and TC were talking and I'm I've got a pretty good education, but they're talking about sound systems and music. I didn't understand a single word they were saying, right? They're speaking English. I don't know what in the world they're talking about, but they're doing what they can. They're using their gifts and abilities to serve the kingdom. We do what we can. I said a meeting a week or two ago, Lester was there. He starts speaking. I don't know what the world Lester's talking about. I'm not really a business guy. When it comes to spreadsheets and businesses, I just kind of nod my head so people think I understand. Clueless. I'm like, he, so people think he's just attending a meeting. No, no, no. He's making sure that the church is stewarding their resources in a way that honor the Lord and advance the kingdom. This is kingdom, being faithful with what we have. Remember that we exist for him. So many people here do this. I think all the guys that have come uh, setting up the chairs, Taz, setting up the chairs, so precise. Bo, so much precision, such a plan. I was uh, talking to LaShawn a couple weeks back uh, before service, and as you know, LaShawn's kind of a magnet for people. And so a little girl about this big comes running up and taps him while we're talking and says, hey, get a gum, LaShawn. <laughs> I guess she knew to expect him to have gum and He's like, no, I don't have any gum. He's like, well, what's your favorite flavor? And she starts thinking for a minute. She said, purple. But he's, you know, a little kid voice. And I didn't correct her, but I thought about correcting her. That's not really a flavor, but he's like, purple. Okay, well, her little brother was with him too. And so LaShawn wanted him to be included. What about you? What's your favorite flavor? 
He was stumped. I mean, he was like, oh, man, I don't want to give a wrong answer. I could tell his, like, his brain's little cogs were turning. He was oh, getting frustrated. So finally, Sean's like, what about purple? He's like, yeah, 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 purple, purple. <laughs> well, in my mind, I'm thinking, you've got to write this stuff down. If you say you're going to do it, I've got to write a note. You know, I email myself, text myself, something, or I'll forget. The next Sunday, I was talking to LaShawn, same little rascal came running straight up to him. Hey, you got any gum? He reached in his pocket, pulled out the purple gum, and then gave some to the little guy. And we think, it's just gum. No. You know what he did? He says, I see you. I hear you. You matter. I value you. This is kingdom. It's not just a piece of gum. We're invited. We get to participate in the kingdom. The Lord's given us a sphere of influence around us to speak hope, to speak encouragement, to speak life, to speak truth full of grace. You see, we do pray for your kingdom to come. We, we, we know that there's an event, a one-time event in the future where his kingdom will come in full. But Jesus also said this, and this, this isn't in my notes, but Jesus said this in Luke 17. He said, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Meaning there is going to be a coming, but we're also right now in the midst. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And here's what I want our takeaways to be. I want us to know that we can come to him with this intimate father, daddy, Abba. He hears, it matters, he cares. He lets us participate. In all the world's religions, there's nothing that's even closely as beautiful as this. When you pray, say, Daddy. But I'm also going to pray as, as the band leads us in a song. Um, I'm just going to pray for God's kingdom to come. I'm going to invite Jay to come up. I'm going to invite my wife to come up. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. In the kingdom of God, there's no pain. There's no suffering. In the kingdom of God, there's no more hurt. There's no more evangelism anymore. But what I'm praying is that the kingdom will come in our minds, in our bodies, in our thoughts. And maybe your body is struggling with pain. We'd love to pray for you as they lead us in a song. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're the person who's struggling. They feel like, I just don't know what the Lord wants me to do. We'd love to pray that the Lord's love would abound in you and knowledge and depth of insight so you can discern what's best. I'm not sure what it is you need from the Lord tonight. But he invites you to come. You know, there's this, right after the Lord's Prayer, the next chapter, Jesus is talking about, you, you just worry about all these things. They consume your thought life. He's like, hey, don't worry about those things. Just seek first the kingdom of God. Why? That's in our best interest. He wants what's best for us. Seek first his kingdom. So while they lead in the song, we'll be down here in the front. And if you'd like prayers just for Lord's kingdom just to come in your mind, come in your body, come in your thought life, come in your actions, your relationships. It'd be our privilege to pray for you.